Welcome back to our weekly podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Elliot Tomeno. Elliot graduated from Franklin in 2008 with a degree in international communications with a minor in art history and actually worked as an assistant to the director of public relations during his last year at Franklin. Currently, Elliot is in New York City as the founder and CEO of Asterix PR, where he seeks to help brands embrace their rebellious side and build a meaningful media presence. I'm super excited to get to know more about Elliot alongside of all of you. Um, so officially, welcome to the podcast, Elliot. Thanks so much, Margaret. Thanks for having me. And, and thanks for doing this. This is so cool. Of course. I mean, the pleasure is all mine. I'm very excited to um, get to know you better. So let's just dive right into it. I mean, okay, first, I feel we should kind of talk about your tattoo that you got today, because I feel it's totally symbolic of recording the podcast. It totally is. I had booked this months ago, and we had actually rescheduled when we were going to be recording the podcast, and it actually fell on the same day. So I got a tattoo of this 1950s patch. People used to put patches on their jackets. And so I had them take this patch and turn it into a tattoo. It says Lugano. It has a little Swiss flag, and it has some uh, flowers that you would see in uh, Parco Chani. And I can say that it looks really, really good. And maybe Thanks. if it's fine enough, I can link a little like picture or something in the podcast. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's dive right into it. Um, let's go back to the Franklin days and talk about how in your senior year, you actually were the assistant to the director of public relations. Um, and I was kind of wondering like what you were doing before then and what led you up to being the assistant director of public relations and potentially how that helps you know, helps you figure out what you want to do for your career. Definitely. You know, in all candor, my first couple of years at Franklin were a lot of fun and a lot of exploring and a lot of nights at uh, Mirandi and Club One, which I don't think either of them are there anymore. They've been renamed. Um, but there was a lot. Every two years they're renamed. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, I had a lot of uh, fun nights there. And um you know, really just meeting people from all over the world and, and creating these new friend groups. Um, I had the pleasure of having a friend group that was really international. People from um, the Middle East, people from Europe, people, uh, Russian friends, South American friends, um, and really made it my duty in some ways to make sure that I wasn't just making friends with other Americans while I was at Franklin. I, I came for this international experience. I wanted to have a true international experience. So much so that I ended up dating a local who didn't really speak English. And that really helped me get my Italian um, to near fluency uh, by the end of my second year at Franklin. Um, by the third year, I was actually working in the pub in Sarango um, and bartending in both English and Italian um, and having a lot of fun traveling to Amsterdam on the weekends. I think I went to Amsterdam, nine hour drive in a smart car before there were uh, maps on your phone. So we had to really, we got lost a couple of times for sure. Um, and so I had a, a lot of fun. Um, and then I saw this internship and I really wanted to get more involved in my studies. I wanted to get more involved in the school, not just my friend groups. And I applied um, because I had really loved my PR class. I was taught by Rebecca Self, uh, who's no longer teaching at Franklin, um, but who I've called out on other podcasts in the past. It's such an influence uh, on me. And so after that um, class, I decided to apply to this internship. I was working under Belma DeMarkey, an incredible woman, and she and I were really in charge of leading the speaker series for the college. We were doing local outreach as well. We were doing some international outreach, and um, but one of my big responsibilities was helping lead the speaker um, initiative, and when the speakers came to the college, really helped them in the green room, 
uh, answer, you know, hand the microphone around when people had questions afterwards, and then, you know, really be their kind of attache and be next to the, the speaker the whole time, make sure they were really comfortable and, and had a great experience. Um, but during that time, Bella and I were actually pitching Franklin out to towns across the country. And one of the ideas that I had was, why don't we highlight students from small towns about their experience at Franklin and pitch it to a newspaper in that small town? Say it's, um, you know, a, a publication in Fort Worth. We would, we would find a student, we would, uh, you know, find students that we thought had really interesting stories. And then we'd see if they had a newspaper in their market. We'd see if the student was open to us telling their story, send some pictures, and send a pitch specifically about Johnny from Fort Worth to the Fort Worth newspaper. Really human interest story. And we found that to be really successful in um, getting press coverage for Franklin, but also reaching people in those cities and showing them that an experience like Franklin, if it's possible for Johnny, it's possible for you. Um, so that was a lot of fun then. And, and really thinking outside the box getting creative and finding new ways to bring attention to Franklin really showed me that this is something that I, I love to do. Um, and I think really did lead me towards the career that I, I built for myself in public relations. Although I do mostly PR for technology, entertainment, and fashion brands now, the the met, the, the ways in which you, you do PR are the same for every industry that you represent. And I, I started doing that while I was a, a senior at Franklin. That's super cool. Uh, before we get into kind of how that pertains to what you're doing today, which is also very cool, I did not realize that you were a bartender at the pub. That is so cool. Oh, yeah. How did you get involved For in a full that? year. You know, I, I, I met Danny, who was the owner. I think he owns a couple other um, spots in Lugano now. And I passed him a note written in Italian um, saying, I'd like to bartend here. I speak Italian fluently. And he's like, do you really? And started grilling me in Italian. And then when I was able to respond and, and have a little repartee with him, um, he said, let's give you a try. And I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know if I legally was able to work there at the time. So, so maybe I shouldn't talk too much about this, but it was an incredible experience. I actually, before that, worked at Coyote Ugly for six months. And, yep. uh, That's amazing. Yeah. We, and, and the real story here is, um, when I was when I started going to school in Switzerland, my my parents' business was doing well, and they were going through bankruptcy during my senior year. And so, although I had student loans, my student loans didn't cover my you know meals and didn't cover my um, travel on the weekend. So, if I wanted to stay at Franklin and, and have a similar experience, I needed to start making some money. And so, I was I think the only student that I knew during my year that actually worked while they were there outside of a, a school sh sanctioned job. Yeah, that's super rare. I mean, now I think you can legally work about 10 hours a week um, mm. on a student visa, but not a lot of people do it. I mean, it's a lot of work, but that's really yeah. cool. And I'm sure you met a oh, lot I was, of people. Oh, definitely. And, and uh, you know, making drinks for your friends um, while, while they're, you know, at your bar, it was, it was a lot of fun. The, the sweeping up at the end of the night was not so much fun, but yeah. my best friend who I met at Franklin, uh, Will Porterfield, Sometimes I'd say, hey, Will, I'll give you a couple free beers throughout the night if you help me sweep at the end. And he still tells this story at parties to this day. Um, so I, I had some help. That's really sweet. I love that. Did you have a special cocktail that people, you know, asked for when they when you were bartending? Or did you just give them one, you know? Well, I, I loved, and this is, you know, mind you, this is 2007. 2008, um, vodka Red Bulls were very popular and it would always, you know, make the bar a little bit more lively. So vodka diet Red Bulls. And then some people would ask for flaming shots. So I had one shot that 
that I got really good at making um, that's a little bit not suitable for work. It's called a blowjob shot. <laughs> and we may need to cut this part. But I uh, that was another shot that people also got really excited about and kind of was my signature. That's really cool. Did you say <laughs> shots? Was that? Yes. So you light it on fire at the end. That is so iconic. I wish yep. I could see that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so now you are the founder and CEO of your company, Asterix. So first of all, major congratulations. That's super exciting. Thank you. Um, and it's based in both New York City, but also San Francisco. Uh, did I get that right? You know, I was living in San Francisco uh, for a while. Um, so, so we, and we have clients all over the world. But no, we're all 27 of us are based in New York in Tribeca, um, but with clients all over the world. We've got clients in Germany and in China. Um, majority are in the US, uh, but only about 30% are from uh, either Europe, Asia, um, or South America. Um, but I think my experience working you know, going to school in, in, in at Franklin and having that international experience really prepared me well to work with international clients. I think when I talk to a company who's based in Germany or a company who's based in London and tell them about my experience, oh, I lived in Switzerland for three years, it automatically makes them more comfortable working with me because I understand the nuances between cultures um, and it, it gives them a certain level of, of comfort. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. And you also speak English, French, Italian, and Spanish. Does that help you professionally? Or is it more something that you do as a personal passion of yours? It definitely has helped me professionally. My Italian is probably my my most fluent language. And I can I can do business in Italian, not so much in French or Spanish, um, just because some of the vocabulary and jargon in tech, I don't have that vocabulary in those languages. But when I'm in those countries or having, I can have any kind of a conversation um, pretty much as long as it's outside of jargon um, or, or technical vocabulary um, in, in all three of those languages. Um, I, I did live in France when I was a kid um, on a study abroad program for, for three months when I was 11. So I had French first before I came into Lugano, but I learned Italian without knowing any Italian um, fluently my, my three years there. And, and that was definitely due to some incredible professors, um, but also just really taking the, the opportunity to speak every day as much as I could with people. Um, Val Farida is still there right across the street. And um, Grazia, Grazia from Val Farida and I would talk every single day at lunch. And I said, you know, posso, posso praticare il mio italiano? And she said, of course, practice with me. So we'd practice every single day while I was getting my uh, formaggio fumicato sandwich. And um, she really did help me. She actually came to my graduation, um, her and her husband. Uh, we became very close while I was there. Uh, she, there was a, funny dinner at the pub where she sat with my parents who don't speak any Italian and uh, her and her husband sat there and I just translated between them. Um, she was definitely my Swiss mom. So I love that. That's really cool. Um, and so starting your professional career, career post Franklin, you worked at quite a few different companies and I was mm -hmm. kind of wondering what your biggest takeaways were from working at other companies and how that kind of helped you decide and solidify your plan and passion for creating your own PR agency? Great question. You know, I first have to say, I would not have gotten that first internship if it wasn't for um, Laura, the Dean of Students at the time. Um, she took my resume and passed it to a friend named Dee Dee Taft who had a, a small PR firm in San Francisco. I said I was moving to San Francisco and um, it was through the Dean of Students um, that I got my first internship. Uh, and um, it was in auto show PR, definitely not an industry that I was super excited about. I, I was never a big car guy. 
Um, but that led me to, you know, getting a full-time job in PR after that internship ended, that woman hired me. Um, I got to travel around to 38 different states working for Spin Communications um, for auto shows. So I would be on the news with the weather woman at, uh, weather woman or man at five in the morning, six in the morning, something like this. Come on down to the Virginia International Auto Show. We've got 500 new model vehicles. We've got Sugar Ray performing on the weekends. And we've got the Hawaiian Tropic Girls here on Sunday. Um, and I would be dressed in a suit. And I was so nervous every time. Um, and this is one of my first experiences in, in PR. And uh, it definitely was um, baptism by fire, uh, as you might say. And um, from there, I went and worked in surf, skate, snow PR, um, working on dragon sunglasses, skull candy headphones, and a bunch of other things um, in the outdoor space. Like that a lot. Um, had a conflict with the manager there because I was trying to do things outside the box. I wanted to try broadcast pitching. Um, and and that was maybe a little bit of a trend for me early in my career where I came in a little bit hot. I, um, I, I didn't necessarily know how to um, work in a professional environment. And I think uh, you know a lot of people that come into my agency, we're 27 people and half of those folks are below 26. And I definitely see some of those same characteristics coming into your first job. How do you adapt to a professional environment? How do you give your all and, and try things outside the box while working within the constraints of the organization that you're working in? Um, and I definitely had a hard time with that coming out of college. And I think a lot of people do. So if anybody's listening to this who's you know, dealt with that or is dealing with that currently, that's normal, part for the course. And when you find the organization that's the right fit for you, there won't be that friction. From there, I went to a couple different PR firms um, and at the age of 25 landed at Baloo PR. It's a perfect fit for me. French agency working on Facebook, Eventbrite, and Groupon. Now, up until this time, I had only minorly worked in tech. Um, and I got a position to run her San Francisco office at 25. I was always wearing suits at the time, so I think she thought I was a little bit older than I was. Um, and I was running a three-person team out of San Francisco satellite office for Blue PR, which was based in Paris and uh, had an office also in London. And here's me at 25 getting to work on some of the coolest tech companies. This is you know 2011, and I'm working on Facebook, Eventbrite, Groupon. Um, and that was definitely a pivotal moment in my career where I realized I want to work on tech. These companies are rocket ships. Uh, this is where the whole world is going. I've always loved tech since I was a kid. Um, I was one of those people in the Prodigy chat rooms. You probably don't even know what these are, Margaret. But there, there were chat rooms where you could like uh, role-playing games that were text-based role-playing games. As a, as a pudgy 10-year-old, this was my, my pastime. Um, and uh, I, I realized this, it fit really well with my passions, and there was a lot of opportunity for growth. Um, so from there, I applied to a job in New York. I said I always wanted to live in New York before I was 30. I applied to be the head of consumer PR um, at Morrison King and did a couple of remote interviews and only been to New York one time before um, on my way to Switzerland, actually. Um, and accepted the job, um, got offered the job and accepted the job and started, um, in January, 2012, um, had about a month to leave San Francisco to move to New York. And, um, it was the best leap that I ever took, except my leap to Switzerland, where I had also never visited, um, That's before awesome. I, 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 I visited New York, but I had never been to Switzerland and I'm slightly geographically challenged. I don't even know what country surrounded Switzerland <laughs> when I, when I boarded the plane to move there for college. That's amazing. That's kind of full circle in a way. Like you had never been to New York. You went on your way to Switzerland and then you find yourself in New York. I kind of like that a lot. Yeah. Has a good. And I started, I was working for a firm for about nine months and then I realized 
that New York PR firms are really taking the same approach to PR that they had taken to, for bigger brands, and that San Francisco-based PR firms were really focused on doing PR differently for a different kind of company, for startups. So I realized the company I was working in in New York wasn't necessarily the right fit for me. And if I wanted to do PR for the types of startups um, that I wanted to work with, high growth consumer facing startups that I needed to start on my own. So at 27 um, in November, 2012, only nine months after I moved to New York, I started asterisk from my apartment with $500 in the bank. And my parents, you know, were still struggling with their business at the time. And it was, it was another leap. And, um, I, you know, another leap that I'm really glad that I took. Um, within three months, I had two employees. Um, we had, I had more of a response from the startup community than I had I thought I was going to get. Um, and uh, within two years, we were 10 people. And, um, and then we grew a little bit slower from there um, and grew to work with later stage companies. And now we are, we're going to be nine years old in November and we've got 27 employees um, about five of our companies are what, what are called unicorns in the tech world uh, with a over $1 billion valuation, um, five companies that are publicly traded, and a bunch of brands that you probably know, companies like Squarespace, Prime Video, Lemonade. Um, and I just feel so lucky to work on startups that I love, that are household names, but I also still get to work on early stage startups. There's you know, half the companies we work with are late stage, but the other half are companies you haven't heard of because we haven't launched them yet, or they're just launching. And those um, those companies are ex- especially exciting for me to work on because I get to have such a hand in their messaging um, and and they're they're coming out, if you will. Yeah, that's super cool. And I feel like you have such an insight, you know, starting your own startup and being able to help all of these companies grow as well. That's really, really cool. And it must be super fun to see and talk to them later and be like, hey, how's it going? You know. A hundred percent. And when I see them IPO or see them get acquired, it's, it's really exciting. Um, I started investing in female-founded startups in 2013, so about a year after I started the business. Because for me, having this business is a certain amount of responsibility as a gay man, as a, as a feminist, um, as someone who wants to see more marginalized founders these are BIPOC founders, you know, female founders, LGBTQ plus founders on my roster. I wanted to do everything that I could to help um, level the playing field. So we started a pro bono contest about five years ago where we give away a free year of PR to a female founded, BIPOC founded, or LGBTQ plus founded business. And they win a free year of PR with us. Um, the contest is judged by journalists and, and venture capitalists. And it's a really fun way uh, for us to give back. And I think it's an, it's an important thing uh, it's a it's an important capstone of our culture in many ways um, here at Asterisk. Yeah, that's really cool. And do you feel like you're able, you know, obviously you run your own company and you are, you know, the founder and CEO, so you have a lot of say in that regard. But do you feel like you're able to still bring creativity and still bring in your own personal morals and, you know, passions like you mentioned into this kind of more business-oriented, cost-benefit, whatever world you know are you able to kind yes. of still maintain your own authenticity and how is 100 percent. And, and sometimes that means you make less money sometimes that means to do the right thing you have to turn down a, a company who's willing to pay a bunch but is funded by the the coke brothers koch brothers for example um who have really you know strong political affiliations that i'm not interested in being affiliated with um and so sometimes you do have to you know make decisions 
Um, sometimes you have to vote with your with your bank account. And sometimes that means you you take less money. Sometimes it means the opposite, you know, of, of what you might think. It, yeah. And um, but what is my point I'm trying to make here is is that yes, it's possible. It's hard to do. Um, but it's not as hard to do when you're the sole owner of an organization and you've made your values and and um, your mission and vision very clear from the get-go. Everyone who works here knows that this is an organization um, that that supports BIPOC female-founded and LGBTQ plus startups and um, oftentimes will choose them over other startups. We oftentimes will have a waiting list. And if you're a member of one of those marginalized groups, you get to the top of the waiting list. Yeah, that's really cool. I like the idea that your voice really maintains kind of constant, even in the face of, you know, oh, well, take this off. I, I think that's really, really cool and awesome that you're able to do that. Thank you. And so in terms of your personal brand, um, you know, you work with a lot of other people's brands. I was hoping that you could kind of give us an insight as to what your personal brand is like. How would you describe yourself as a person now, um, you know? Having a few years and uh, several years under your belt post grad, um, you know how how would you describe yourself? That's a hard question. You know, I talk about other people all day long. Right, I it's think better, you know self reflect sometimes. It, it is. I'd say a lot of who I am was solidified during my my years at Franklin and in Lugano, being in such an international environment, being around people with so many different backgrounds. Um, different religions, different languages, um, different social norms and mores uh, from their cultures. I think it really did lead me to wanting to be more of a global citizen than I was when I was there. I, I knew that I, you know, being there made me realize: look how much growth I have to do. Look how many cultures there are to see. Look, look how big the world is. And to to stop looking at the world through my U.S. myopic lens. Um, and I, so I think it became kind of a a, a journey of mine that started at Franklin and it continued afterwards to be more than just an American citizen to be, to try to be, a, it sounds trite or maybe a little cliche to say be a global citizen, but I don't know what the better word for it is, but to be more of a citizen of the world. And I think that shaped me in a lot of ways. Um, my friends are now from, from all over the world, but I'm, I'm again, defining myself by other things. Uh, I would say my personal brand is, a little bit silly, doesn't take things too seriously, works, my husband would probably say works a little bit too hard, um, but also knows how to have fun um, as well. Um, in terms of dress, I, I don't, I definitely don't dress like a traditional, um, you know, CEO. I've, I've got a, you know, fun pattern shirt on today and I've got some tattoos and I, um, I like wearing sneakers and I'm, I'm definitely dressed down a little bit or, you know, a little bit more what you would see people on the streets in, in Soho wearing. Um, and that's what I wear to the office. And the whole office is like that in so many ways. Um, I think to circle back to Franklin, though, part of my personal brand is defined by travel. I need to go somewhere new every three months. I already had a travel bug before Franklin, but academic travel really ignited something in me and, and, and helped me realize how many places I have to go and places that I wouldn't even think that I would love. Like, for example, on academic travel, my first year I went to Scotland and I, Scotland was never at the top of my list, but I loved my experience in Scotland. And um, it, I think a, a lot of the way that I define myself is, is based on um, being someone who loves to travel and can't get enough of it. We've got a trip to Columbia planned. We're doing Anguilla later this year. 
um, we went to our honeymoon. Uh, we actually got married during COVID and got um, went on our honeymoon for a month and went to Tanzania and uh, did two safaris in Africa and then went to the Maldives, uh, both places that I hadn't been before. And so um, me and my husband uh, just have a, a running list of places we want to go. And we're only allowed to go back to one place a year that we both that either one of us has been to. It always has to be new places other than that. Oh my God. I love that rule. I really like that. Because <laughs> I could just keep going back to Paris and keep going back to Lugano, which I have been back to Lugano pretty much every year since I graduated pre-pandemic. Um, and I love that new hotel, uh, The View in Paradiso. Super cute. If yeah, anybody who's listening hasn't seen it. Yeah, The View. Yeah. I'll link it down below in the in the bio so people can check it out. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. And so how did you and your husband meet? We met at a dive bar um, at a tech conference called South by Southwest. He was video producing at the time, and I was there for all my clients. I was there with my team, and uh, we struck up a conversation at the bar. Nice. That's amazing. <laughs> someone with such passion for travel as well. That's really fun. 100%. And for family, we are, um, we're in the process of uh, adopting right now, mm-hmm. and um, we're going to be um, bringing home a newborn. We're adopting from the U.S., um, but we're open to any gender or race. And so we'll, we'll start finding out who that uh, person will be pretty soon. It, we, we should have um, a baby in the home within the next five to eight months. That is so beautiful. I'm very excited for you. And I wish you the best of luck in that. That is very exciting. Thanks, Margaret. And I'm excited too. It's a little, it's a little scary, but also super <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that's <laughs> like a level of responsibility. I feel you don't understand until the baby is literally in your arms. You know <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Really exciting to look forward to, and then also um, in terms of you know you mentioned your travels, but in terms of your business, like what what can we expect from you and your business moving forward? How do you see yourself growing and expanding? We that's a great question. Um, we have a goal of um, working with fifty percent hitting uh, 50% of our clients coming from one of those marginalized groups. Um, I think we're at about 35% right now. Um, we plan to continue to grow, uh, but grow in a, in a way that's really sustainable. So I think by the end of next year, by the end of 2022, um, we should have, you know, about 35 employees. And then looking at 2023, we're looking at potentially opening up a satellite office in LA and continue to expand from there. I would love to one day have an office in Europe as well. Perhaps um, a lot of tech scene happening in Portugal, in Dublin, um, and in Spain right now. So eyeing some of those markets. I could not complain about any of those places. <laughs> like, that's right? Like, <laughs> that's I totally agree. I'm like, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm so excited for all that's to come, whether that be Colombia, a new member of your family and just, you know, life itself. So thank you so much for having some time for us and sharing your story today. Of course. And Margaret, thank you so much for doing this. I think it's so, so important. And it's, I, I've, I've loved listening to some of your um, podcasts in the past and just reminiscing about my time at Franklin um, and also hearing about the success of other Franklinites. Um, such an incredible group of people decide, just even think about the people who decide to leave America or leave their country and go to a school in a small town. This is a really unique group of people that even cho- chose to go to Franklin in the first place. Um, and so many of them are doing so many cool things. I have so many great friendships to come from my Franklin years. I was texting with six of them today, and these are some of my best friends to this day. And I, I graduated in 2008. 
Um, so, you it's know, this, this community, it really, really is. And um, I think you're doing a, a really awesome job of bringing everybody together and, and giving some, giving people a, a way to reminisce and, and to, to think about those special years that we all had um, in that beautiful town. It's really sweet. Yeah, it's been so fun. I think every like baseline, everyone from Franklin is so interesting. But then when people start right. getting talking, they talk about things that they might not even themselves find interesting, but it's so cool. So it's been quite the honor to be able to create a platform in which I get to enlighten my nosy side and also <laughs> help other people feel connected. So it's been great. Thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you again for having me. I really had a lot of fun today. Of great course. to talk to you, Margaret. And keep in touch and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much.